And uh, we, we today want to talk today about raising daughters, or put slightly more un- unambiguously, investing in women leaders. And um, it was in our September-October family meeting where we said to you guys fairly briefly, as an eldership, we'd really been spending probably two or three years actually looking at the biblical pattern, particularly of women preaching, women hosting, but in the broader sense, the vital role and the vital biblical practice of investing in women leaders as well as obviously men leaders. And we, we, we made comments like that we were going to be moving more towards having women preaching on Sundays, women hosting. And we left you in suspense saying uh, that in January we would go through some scriptures to help you understand why this is a little bit of a, a new thing for us um, as a church. And so today is that day. Today is the day where we're going to walk through some key scriptures. And today we'll probably feel a little different to normal Sundays. If you know me, I end up most Sundays uh, crying and sort of punching the air and sort of screaming with excitement. Uh, That may happen today, but um, we're going to be, in a kind of calm way, uh, walking through um, quite a lot of Scripture, actually. So I hope you brought your Bibles or your phones with your Bibles on them or whatever. It will be on here. But we really want to, we really, I guess as a church, we want to be biblical, which means sometimes be willing to take shots from the world. You do know that, don't you? You know, throughout history, the last 2,000 years, Christians are generally persecuted for their belief. It is, it is not normal that we live in a time where that's unusual. Um, that's not normal. So we want to be biblical, and even when at times that means we take shots from the world, but we also want to be biblical and be wise, and to be honest with you, be, be humble enough as leaders to admit when we've had blind spots. And so today's going to kind of have a mix of all of that in it. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray and I wonder if you could join me in your hearts praying with me, because I really need God's help. I've, I've felt the weight of this morning. I'm excited about it, but I have felt the weight of it because it's obviously a very um, culturally uh, sensitive thing. And I want to choose my words carefully and hopefully um, fear the Lord, but also bless us all. Jesus, we love you. As we've been reminded, you gave your life for us and we are one body. That's an amazing thing. That Lord, we're here in this somewhat funny school hall um, not impressive on the outside, but inside, all across this room, there's miracles, amazing miracles of hearts that love you. No longer rebels, but lovers of God. I pray for any here who perhaps, like me, 16 years ago when I came here as an atheist, didn't believe. I pray that you will speak to those hearts more than anything today. Give them faith that this is actually true, as crazy as it sounds, that Jesus is the truth. Speak to all of us, Lord. Encourage us. Challenge us. Open our minds to see truth as you would like us to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm just going to have, true to form, three points today. Uh, Number one, we're going to spend a few moments looking, uh, setting the context, really looking at why we are looking at this today. Secondarily, we're going to dive into some theology of of actually what we believe from the Bible. Uh, We'll probably spend most of our time there. And then thirdly, just briefly looking at kind of the practical outworking of this little bit of a new world for us. So first of all, then, I just want to spend a few moments, almost as it were, setting the context of why we're looking at this. And just to say, normally by this point in a sermon, I would have said, can you turn to in your Bibles? Uh, And we're going to get to the Bible stuff in a moment, don't worry. In about five or ten minutes, once we've done our first point, we are going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. But I just wanted to um, just spend a few moments really, um, hopefully, explaining something of, of why we as an eldership, really for the last two or three years, have felt God kind of hemming us in, really, and uh, the context of why we're looking at this. 
First thing just to sort of really say is our historical context. We have lots of, lots of wonderful slides today, you'll be pleased to know, um, is our historical context. As a church, we've been going 25 years. And as a church, we've always been um, thoroughly complementarian. Here we are, the first of a few long words. Complementarian in our theology, which means that we believe, when it comes to issues of gender, we believe that men and women are utterly and completely equal as we'll look at in greater detail later on, totally equal in terms of status and worth and identity and, and, and value and dignity, but that in the marriage context, and therefore something of in the church context, there are some wonderful God-glorifying differences that are actually complementary. They're complementary. And the key reason for this really is ultimately because we believe in a God who is one, but also three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that actually just as, as God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are different, they're different in their personhood and yet utterly equal in their divinity, we believe similarly that God has hardwired, particularly in the marriage context, that there should be an equality between men and women, but also a God-glorifying difference in terms of role. And so this is, our, this is our long-term kind of theological foundation, really. We're part of a movement called New Frontiers, which is around a thousand churches across the world. Uh, and it's, it's, the, it's the kind of one of the main kind of theological foundational unifying things. And it's, it's different to perhaps the main other type of theological perspective in the evangelical world, which is that of egalitarianism, um, being egalitarian, which basically says that men and women are equal, and that equality is expressed through sameness. That men and women are equal, but rather than there being difference in the marriage context, actually it's expressed through a sameness, that there is effectively no difference in terms of gift or role in the marriage context or indeed in the church context. And we as a church have, and we still do passionately celebrate, actually a complementarian view that just as our God is three gods with different attributes, he, he, one wonderful God, unified together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons who are different in their roles. In fact, the whole of last term, you'll remember, we were looking at this one theme that Jesus <clears throat> was totally dependent on the Father, submitted to the Father, delighting in that, celebrating that. The whole of last term was on it, actually, so that if Jesus, who is fully God and fully divine, was happy to be different in his role to the Father, who are we? to therefore say, well, wait a minute, no, no, there's no difference in terms of these roles. So it's something that we delight in, and we're not moving away from at all. I think also just to say, secondarily in our sort of contextualization, is that uh, we would see right now women released in leadership in huge areas across the church, in our projects, which particularly serve the community out there. There's so many women who are released already in terms of leadership. In our Ministries, which are those things which particularly serve the internal family, there are women released all across the board. In terms of our small group leadership, in terms of worship leaders, in terms of our Sunday teams, the list goes on and on. In terms of trustees, those who have been on our building teams, we passionately believe and therefore have had <coughs> women released in leadership all across the church. And this is the key idea. Because of that, there has and there is currently a huge degree of access that those women leaders have to the elders and the senior leaders. Access in terms of being raised up and encouraged. So we frequently run leadership development evenings as an eldership 
we're amongst women leaders as well as men, so they can have access and something of an encouragement and something of a kind of discipling. We also run frequently small group leadership training. I was at a worship leaders training uh, about a week and a half ago. It was a profound, wonderful evening where I was there amongst a wonderful collect, uh, a mixture of men and women worship leaders. So <clears throat> we are already in a place where there, it is true to say there is widespread access by many women leaders to the senior leadership team. However, a couple of things we need to say. One of them conscious and one of them is unconscious. That's my third point of my first point. Is this, just helping our, our uh, technical guides keep up, is that consciously we haven't had women preaching on Sundays and we haven't had women hosting. Um, and we'll explain a little bit why later on. So there's been these two particular kind of leadership roles, as it were, that so far women haven't been doing at City Church. I'm sure you would be aware of that. That's been a conscious thing. But there's also been an unconscious thing that we need to just realize as we look at this, which is there's also been certain places that women leaders haven't had access to, really, that emerging male leaders have had access to. Things like coming into eldership meetings, coming into eldership prayer meetings, joining some of the elders on trips they do, those kind of things. The kind of context, the places where historically, often as elders, we've been drawing in um, emerging male leaders haven't really been, to be honest with you, a place where there's been access for women emerging. And I had a wonderful um, coffee a little while ago where a, a very brave and, and wonderful woman leader in the church said to me, Tom, you can, you can see so often this kind of flow of, of, um, of men who, who you're raising up. And it's great. It's a good thing. But, but it's like there's almost this kind of like pattern and there's this sort of system almost for them. But I don't necessarily feel it's quite equal for women who are leaders and perhaps feel called to lead in, in similar ways. And to be honest with you, she's completely right. And so part of what I and us as an eldership want to say today is, is just to say we are so not perfect and we get things wrong. And it's quite refreshing to say that. It's quite releasing to say we have blind spots. You know that. And this is always going to be us um, as imperfect leaders doing our best to wrestle with Scripture um, and sometimes not getting that right. And, the, and I think a key thing really, more than even whether women can preach on Sunday, this is actually perhaps at heart about making sure that as an eldership and as a senior leadership team there is equal access to women leaders for them to feel that they can be invested in and fathered and believed in as much as men leaders. I think that's almost the key issue, actually, more than whether they have a public role or not. And as I said, I think in many ways, there's huge areas where that is the case. But today is our, uh, part of today is us saying, actually, there's been certain areas, certain places where emerging male leaders have had access, which have encouraged them and drawn them into their destiny, and I don't think we've been, um, to be honest with you, completely consistent in allowing certain emerging women into that context. I think fourthly, um, to say that, as we've already mentioned, as a team, we have, been on a, we have been on a journey ourselves in terms of, I think, whilst we want to continue to massively emphasize the important role of eldership, which is the spiritual governance of the church, in addition to that, increasingly also emphasizing leadership in the broader sense, a broader gift of leadership, which absolutely will clearly involve women as well as men. That's something that we've been realizing that more and more as the church grows and grows, 
eldership needs to be, in some ways, as you see in the book of Acts particularly, not always so much about scurrying around doing lots, but increasingly, genuinely, spiritually fathering the church family and providing a safe context where actually more and more multiplicity of leaders can emerge all the time, men and women, who can play their role in making this the church that God wants for it. And so you can see this, this, this whole collection of different sort of ingredients has been, has been kind of in our minds as we've been looking at this. I'd also say there's an apostolic dimension, another long word. The apostolic role is totally biblical. It's basically father figures who, who father the church, um, who often start churches and provide an ongoing spiritual fathering. So many of you will know uh, Terry Virgo and a chap called Mike Betts, who who constantly, well not constantly, but often, is uh, ringing me and talking to me and talking about the church. And he's been here so many times, he's coming next month. He's, he's a, a wonderful guy who, who oversees 60, 70 churches. Now this is the deal. About a year ago, with all of us as leaders across all the movement, he's, we spent a whole day looking at this issue. And he basically made the point, which I totally agree with, which this isn't just about whether women can preach on a Sunday. It's whether, we on, whether we're actually honoring women leaders as much as honoring male leaders in a million different small ways that sometimes unconsciously we, we can fall into not doing. And um, he made it very clear, his position, which actually uh, we would agree with. But the point is this, is that we as an eldership choose willingly to submit to him. I love to submit to Mike. It's totally biblical. You see, this is an invited thing. It's not a heavy thing. I trust him with my life. He's been a spiritual father for 15 years. He's tender. He's gentle. He's humble. But God has given him a weight of authority that is totally biblical. And that should make you feel very safe, actually. That It's not certainly not about the Tommy Shaw show. It's not even just about the eldership show. It's about actually us willingly, joyfully submitting to someone else who knows us, who loves us, who cares for us who pours out his life for us, actually, and him saying, guys, I want all of our churches to look at this issue. So actually, whether I like it or not, God is saying, you need to think about this. You need to make sure that even if your church is basically healthy, are there areas perhaps where you can grow even more in this? So even from an apostolic angle, and I'd also then say from a prophetic angle. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that God speaks through Christians for the building up, the edifying, and the directing of them. And I, I feel somewhat hemmed in by some of the prophecies I've had over the last 18 months from amazing, genuinely very gifted men and women um, about this issue. One of them, for example, happened 18 months ago. Mike, Be- uh, Mike Bollinger, a Canadian prophet, he said to me, Tom, God is, you've seen many of the promises over your life fulfilled already, but you're coming to a new season where the promises that God's given to you are going to be fulfilled through your sons and your daughters, spiritually speaking. And therefore, you must hugely intentionally work through them all the time. It's not just that you've reached your limit, in a sense, of you trying to do everything. You've got to release. You've got to see sons and daughters raised up in this family. Amen? And, and, And I felt the fear of the Lord over it, the kindness of God, saying, yeah, he's so right. Thank you, Lord. And then a few months later, Angela Kem and Mike Bollinger then prophesied again in a different context and particularly talked about the eldership and a new season of a multiplying of leadership teams uh, almost operating around them to support them and actually to see this church have increasing capacity. So it's not, uh, there's not a bottleneck of a few guys in a room, but actually it's a multiplying of the leadership gift. And the final reason why this is so key is not just prophetic but missional. 
Again, what we mean by that is simply this, is that God wants many men and women who right now would say, I'm not a Christian, to come to know Christ through the witness of this church. We are called to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill, and a light that isn't hidden under a uh, bushel, whatever it's called. A, oh, what's it called? A, 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 you know what I mean. Anyway, many may be visible to the world. <clears throat> now, this is the deal. Paul says, one of Paul, Paul gets really ferocious, the Apostle Paul, when there are needless stumbling blocks. The only stumbling block he wants is the stumbling block of the gospel, i.e., the only thing that makes someone trip, he says, is the gospel. Now, this is serious because if there is any subtle cultural areas of this church that are not actually necessarily as they should be, they could potentially be a stumbling block to my friends and your friends who don't know Christ, and they never even get to hear about the gospel because they believe, isn't it true that your church believes in that? You see? So it's really important. I've said that one last because actually, in a sense, you, you've got to be really careful with that one because otherwise you start removing everything. Well, that's a bit weird. We'll forget about that. And that, Christians do that a lot. And it's awful. As I said right at the beginning, I am willing to take a shot. I am, if it's not culturally right. But I also want to be humble enough to say, we've spent as an eldership two to three years looking at this, going through the scriptures, because it's such a huge issue. We want to get it right. So that's the first point. Why are we looking at this? I hope you will feel on the edge of your seat now with excitement as to, oh, I can see why this is such a big deal. But secondarily, I want us to look theologically, look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? And you and I know we could spend weeks looking at this. So this is just a, a brief sort of uh, walk through some of the main scriptures. If you've got your Bible, turn to, first of all, Genesis chapter 1. It's a good place to start when you're looking at this. First of all then, so I've mentioned briefly that we would be complementarian. That means that we first of all believe that men and women are equal. Say equal. Feel the beauty of that word. We do believe they're equal in terms of worth, value, dignity, equally bearing the image of God. Let me show you why I believe this. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let this sink in. Mike Betts made the brilliant point. Often as complementarians, we read that briefly and then rush on to all the differences. But the opening words of the Bible say to them, male and female, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. He was saying that to both of them. There's an authority that God has given men and women together to go out into planet earth and to make it as God wants it to be. These opening verses clearly emphasize the equality of male and female, men and women. That there's a very clear foundation that God is laying here, that actually they should together go out and have dominion. That's words of authority that God is giving men and women. But what we do see fascinatingly, very quickly, even in the next chapter in Genesis 2, when in this chapter... We then see, uh, we discover how Adam and Eve were created in their different ways. What we quickly see 
is that there seems to be a difference in role between Adam and Eve. There's various ways in which you see in this very first marriage that Adam seems to have something of a leadership role that Eve is called to help him in. So, for example, it says um, that God uh, looked at Adam and he said he gave her a helper. So he gave him a helper. That's Eve. Um, and you might think, helping, that doesn't sound particularly sort of dignified or equal. Well, actually, the same word is repeatedly used about God. And actually, it literally means lifesaver. It's like without her, Adam is in real problems. He's her lifesaver. He's that dependent on her. So it's not actually an uh, undignified or a sort of derogatory word at all. It's a word of great worth. But God says, Adam needs a helper. It's interesting that it's Adam is the one who's called by God to do the naming of the animals. It's interesting that when both Adam and Eve sin equally, actually it's, it's God who speaks to Adam. I think it's a little bit like sometimes if Daisy and Lily are mucking around in the bedroom, I'll often go to Daisy, actually who's the oldest and has something of a leadership role. Daisy, what's going on here? I'll expect more from you. It seems that this is implied throughout Genesis uh, in the early chapters. There's something of a leadership role that God has put in place which reflects the Trinity, actually, that just as the Father lovingly leads his Son onto planet Earth and etc., as we looked at last term, now he's, he wants the world to see something of that Trinitarian beauty in the marriage context. And that actually you can have equality and complementarity. You don't, it's not, it's, you don't have to be the same in every single way in order to have equality, is what God's saying, because our God isn't like that. And then you see it really clearly if you turn over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5, what perhaps is somewhat implicit, potentially, becomes hugely explicit. You see here, um, in verse 23, this is Ephesians, okay? This isn't some sort of obscure passage in the Old Testament. This is Ephesians, just remember that, Paul speaking. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. The word head there, it means authority. It means loving provider. It means leader. It means the husband is the one who is primarily to actually take responsibility for the wife and for the family. And this isn't something actually I'm ashamed of. I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm so furious actually at passive men across this nation. It's the biggest problem. It's why kids are just often Without father figures, often wives go at the pole because their husbands care more about their hobbies or their football teams or their work than them. This is describing a beautiful thing about men actually, after God, their main priority in life is leading their wives. And that's what the word means, head. If you have a head teacher, it's someone who is primarily responsible for the flourishing of that that school, rather, of the staff and the pupils. And actually, when a school flourishes, nearly always it's to do with the head. That head is great. And there's this idea here, and this is just clear, and people try and wiggle out of it because they think we've got to all be the same. And actually, I I just think it's clear. I think it's really beautifully clear. Um, And so what we see is, therefore, if you look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, turn over again, 1 Timothy 3, what you see is, if you are fundamentally in agreement, which I would find difficult not to be, that Ephesians 5 is saying that, that men are called to lead their wives and their families, you then see why Paul later on makes a huge connection, and don't miss this, between men leading their small families, as it were, and a few men who are called to lead God's big family. 
the church. So, for example, it says here <clears throat> in Ephesians, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 3, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, etc., etc. Verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Pray for me. Um, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Do you see that? It's explicit here that, that actually, just as men are called to lead their families, and when I say lead, I mean this. I mean in the way that Jesus leads which is servant-hearted, initiative-taking, sacrificial. How has Jesus led his church in a dominating, horrible way? You must be joking. He's laid down his life for the church, but he's still leading us, right? He's the one that, God's, that, that has, has made a difference between the church and Jesus. They're not the same. And so we see here this wonderful connection between, between uh, men leading their families and actually a few men leading God's families, which is why, so you're really clear, we still utterly believe that eldership is male. We do believe that, that a few men are called to lead God's family. That is absolutely what we biblically believe here. And one other verse has been very, very influential historically. Turn back a page. You probably know where we're going. There it is. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. How many hours have we spent on this one verse? Oh, it says this, Paul says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Don't kill me, please. Give me a few moments to unpack this. Our simple reading of this, therefore, fearing God more than you, is that we haven't historically let women preach on a Sunday, teaching on Sundays, whatever you want to call it up here, because we felt this is clear, and therefore, we fear God, and even though uh, you know it's a bit culturally difficult, we've we've um, we've taken that stance um, in the way uh, that we've approached this. However, however, two questions: we want to ask the question, even if eldership, this spiritual fathering of the church, church is male, what does this fathering look like, and is it possible that there are more roles that women leaders? can do in that church family and more places they can be without contravening this fundamental belief still in male eldership? Is it possible that there's different roles and different places they can be that perhaps so far they haven't done? And secondarily, did Paul definitely mean what we have historically thought about that one passage? Is it definitely talking about women not preaching on Sunday morning or is there actually perhaps need to to step back and not just look at one verse, but also to look at the whole of the weight of Scripture, particularly the New Testament. You keeping up so far? Great, okay. So there's three keys. I've tried to make this as simple as possible. Three keys to consider um, that all of our work has come down to. The issue of words. Say words. Words. Secondarily, the issue of Sundays. Say Sunday. Thank you. You're already there. And number three, Ephesians 4. What do I mean? Number one, the issue of words. Look with me at these two key words that jump out at us from this passage. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. Now, we'll touch upon the issue of what he means by authority a little bit later in a moment. First of all, though, this word teach, which is the Greek word didike, this is the, this is the really important thing. It is a specific 
word. It is a specific word that Paul is saying here. There is something that Paul is prohibiting, okay? And later on, we'll do our best to say what we think it is. There is something that he's saying you mustn't do, right? Okay, but what was a huge revelation for me, and actually most other guys I spoke to, was this. Is that when you look at the New Testament, there's a whole collection of other words that are used to describe verbal communication of one kind or another. Literally different Greek words. So um, the English translations of them would be things like exhortation, word of instruction, encouragements, bringing testimony, preaching, different word to the word teaching, or equipping. There's there's loads of others, but those are just the, the obvious ones that there's no hint anywhere in the New Testament that those are prohibitive or, you know, women can't do those. And so the first point really just to make is, is this, is that I think we have been clumsy, actually, and that's our responsibility as elders, but perhaps all of us, but, but us primarily, to uh, sometimes mentally thinking of what I'm doing now, a Sunday morning half an hour or so, um, monologue is always a teaching slash sermon thing, Right? Whereas I don't think Paul would necessarily, if he was somehow part of City Church, I don't think he'd go that they're all, every time someone gets up here on a Sunday, they are all fitting into that category of the thing that I'm prohibiting for anyone else to do. I think he might go, oh, that was great. Actually, that was more of an encouragement that came. That was actually, to be honest with you, a real exhortation. What that person brought was classic preaching. Do you see? There's actually a whole multitude of different words that... That, that, that are in the New Testament that describe verbal communication. And I think we have generally kind of shoehorned everything under that one thing, that one word, teaching, and therefore um, potentially been somewhat kind of um, clumsy, is the only way I can put it, of, of saying everything needs to come under that category, where actually I don't think there's a reason why you see throughout the Bible in the New Testament, particularly lots of different words to describe what happened when they got together. And it wasn't all teaching. Lots of it was other stuff, but probably we would, out of a cultural habit, tend to call, oh, that's the sermon, that's the sermon, that's the sermon. So, for example, this is really interesting, Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul commands the church in Colossae, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So Paul is now obviously using the same word didache, they're teaching, but he's now describing, he's commanding them that there isn't just a, that the elders just teach, the, you know, the men. It's not, he's saying there's the teaching of one another. It seems to be that actually in the church in Colossae and his expectation of local church life, there would be context all the time where there is teaching of one another. So wait a minute, Paul. One minute you're saying, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And then later on, you're saying, I command you to make sure you're teaching one another. Do you understand why this has taken us a little bit of time to work through? Because you're thinking, Who, what, what, oh, oh, wait a minute, I'm confused, you know? Then you see other scriptures, other words. Romans chapter 12. Um, you see, for example, Paul here very clearly, again, lays out different Greek words, different English translations of what we would call verbal communication. So he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is um, exhortation, then exhort. 
Paul, in Paul's mind, it's a specific thing. There is something he's against, but it's not this general thing of, if someone was to come up and do this, it would necessarily be sinful. Do you understand that? And for us, I, that was just so helpful. Um, I think the exhortation one's a really interesting one as well. I think a friend of mine came to a, a New Frontiers leaders gather. Well, it's not a gather, it's 5,000 leaders. And he's not from New Frontiers. He's from a, a different sort of stream. And he came, and I said, how have you found it? He said, oh, I loved it, but I just crave some real meaty teaching. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in my view, most of this is exhortation. Amazing leaders who are saying, do this and go here and try hard. And this is another story to get you excited. And it's biblical. It's not wrong, but it isn't the same, actually, as teaching. Do you understand? And I thought, that's really insightful, actually. That's why sometimes I can come away feeling somewhat inspired, but almost a bit condemned that I'm a bit rubbish because I'm not like them. Does that make sense? So there are different, there's a whole host of different words that we must understand the Bible gives us. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Paul says to the Corinthian church, whenever you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a lesson. That's the same word again, implying that there was a great sort of array of these things happening. 1 Corinthians 11, look at it in your own time. Paul explicitly says that women can prophesy. And I think sometimes I've been in a context where a prophecy, I had a prophecy for about 45 minutes over me. There's no biblical reason why a woman or a man couldn't stand here and effectively prophesy. And we might go, oh, that was a great sermon. But actually, maybe it was more of an extended prophecy. I think also, another thing, I mean, there's so many other verses we could look at. In Romans 16, when Paul is finishing maybe the greatest letter in the New Testament, certainly one of my favorites, Romans 16, he finishes by listing explicitly um, huge numbers of leaders who have been so pivotal to him, and 50% of them are women. 50%. That's, that's, that is it's significant in my view, that Paul, it wasn't like, oh, thanks for making the tea. You know, it was like Paul couldn't have done it without them. Do you understand? So when you put that together... Yes, 1 Timothy 2.12, we've got to remember, but we've also got to look at the other words that are in the Bible. The second thing to, um, to, re- to think about is the issue of Sundays themselves. There are no explicit biblical commands as to what we must do on a Sunday. I know you know that. But the reason I'm saying that is I think another blind spot we've had is, you see, in the early church, it seemed likely they met much more frequently than we do. Possibly every day. Hey, hey, who's up for that? I'm up for that. But (laughs) quiet. No. So, you see, we can't be totally sure what the New Testament church meetings were like. But what it probably was like was because they met so much more frequently, I think sometimes there would have been extended times of people preaching, teaching, exhorting, encouraging, rebuking, whatever you want to call call the, the moment. But I think often also it was people sharing in shorter bursts and, and it may be a little bit more chaotic than we'd maybe be used to. But the point being is, because we have one like hour and a half bit every week and one moment where one person generally gets up and does a talk, what happens is we lift this massive pressure onto analysing what is that moment in a way that I'm not sure the New Testament way of doing things would have felt the same pressure because they were meeting so often, so frequently, that there was a whole variety of different verbal communications happening that meant they were not under the same kind of cultural pressure that we are to analyse what is happening right now. Is this biblical or is this straying away from it? Because actually I think it was a very different deal. And this is the other thing. 
I think it is possible you could say we are going to literally just have Sundays as times where only teaching and authority, that kind of teaching, which we'll explain in a moment, it is possible you could say that's the only thing we're going to allow. But that is not historically what we've done for 25 years. You cannot say that for 25 years, every Sunday morning, that's exactly what you get. Of course it isn't. Four weeks ago, we had puppets up here. And like <laughs> one of our biggest attendances is that we're hearing the gospel in a very different way. We have people who are non-elders up here and doing great jobs, often emerging guys who have a good job, but often it's not the same as when an elder who's a shepherd, who's a father, who has a different weight of authority. And so actually, we've, we've always had that in the church history. We just haven't been particularly consistent, I think. We've had guys who are not elders, who are potentially not doing the 1 Timothy 2, 12 type of teaching, um, doing maybe a word of instruction or encouragement. Martin Nottage was uh, up here a few weeks ago, and I explicitly said when he got up, I said, this is great. Mark's had an, a crazy two, three years, actually, and I wanted to give his testimony as to what's happened. I deliberately said that because actually that's what it was. He was bearing testimony to the faithfulness of God. It was weighty and amazing, but actually that is what I think specifically God was saying. So I think actually historically we've always used Sundays for, for a variety of different things. And that's why I think um, uh, we just need to be consistent in doing that across the genders. And the third big key is what I've said is Ephesians 4. Now, what's Ephesians 4? It's a huge, huge thing that, particularly in our movement, we talk about almost more than anything. It's this thing that Jesus has given, particularly, depending on how you read it, either four or five-fold gifts for the building up of the local church. That's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, this is the thing. Even if you believe, like we do, that um, eldership is male and therefore being an apostle is because of the connection between them. Therefore, there's no reason to, um, to doubt that obviously we would absolutely believe that women can be evangelists, prophets, and have a teaching gift. Right? So this is the thing. If the whole, Ephesians 4 is, is that these gifts were given, why? To equip the church for the work of ministry. Now think about that. How is a woman evangelist going to equip the church unless she talks to them? I mean, I'm not trying to be sort of, you know, um, rude. I'm just, it just dawned on my thought. And that's why kind of a couple of years ago, actually, when uh, I got to know Rebecca Manley Pippett, an American evangelist, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to be around this woman. We need to be, she's phenomenal. And that whole weekend, the Saturday and the Sunday, she was equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's what she was doing. And actually, the, the, the big objection series we're going to be doing this term in February and March is going to be mainly an equipping thing. Now, is equipping somehow inferior? Well, if it is, that means you're saying the whole role of the Ephesians 4 ministry is not very significant. Because the whole point of the Ephesians 4 gifts is to equip the saints. I hope you're still with me. It's an incredibly important thing. Equipping people is vital. Absolutely, massively key. Okay. So those are the three reasons why we've, we've felt it very important to make sure what does therefore 1 Timothy 2.12 mean? Okay, bearing all of that in mind, the picture that you've got in your mind of the early church. And our conclusion is this. It probably means either, or potentially both, two things. Either a positive thing or a negative thing. I think it's either, first of all, something of a warning against a kind of negative attitude that Paul is potentially warning against. 
a kind of, and it's interesting, apparently the, the word used for authority is one of the only times it's used, and it's a somewhat unusual type of, it's not necessarily a positive authority. It could almost be, I'm prepared a woman to take authority when she hasn't necessarily got it. So in fact, our wonderful very own um, in-house theologian, Derek Reynolds, helped us as an eldership and did a great um, uh, paper on it. And his quotation, which he's uh, very happy for us to say, it says, it's probably best to regard it as a prohibition of a woman taking inappropriate authority over a man. And in fact, Wayne Grudem and John Piper, who are two American theologians, who are um, best known, actually, as for often for their complementarian view, it's interesting. They asked themselves the question in one of their books, so are we saying that it's always wrong for a woman to come up here and to preach or whatever you want to call it? And they could easily have just said, yes, end of the point, if that's what they believed. And some people believe that that's what they do believe, but they don't. They actually said this. We think we would say that the teaching inappropriate that Paul's talking about for a woman is the teaching of men in settings or ways that dishonor the calling of men to bear the primary responsibility. And our understanding of that would be elders called to bear the primary responsibility. Settings and ways. So he's saying here that we think that they, they believe that there are ways in which a woman could do it that would be inappropriate, that perhaps would be stepping across a line of authority that wouldn't be right. But they're not saying that it's something, therefore, that should never happen. And that was fascinating as well, because I think many people think that those guys would think it's always categorically wrong for women to ever come up here and give a sermon, or whatever you want to call it. But they don't believe that. So it's either a warning against a negative thing, Paul's saying, or I think it could be a positive thing, this teaching and authority, but it seems that in its content and in its manner, it's something that is to be done by the elders of the church. And that therefore, those who are non-elders, male or female, shouldn't be involved in doing it. It's, in its, it's the sorts of things, it's quite difficult to necessarily, it's a little bit nebulous, but I remember a few years ago, one non-elder preached on sexual immorality, just because it came up in the passage. And a few of you kind of said, he did a good job, but it just felt inappropriate for him to be doing that as a fairly young guy. And I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's certain things, probably like moments like this, where actually it's got to be the spiritual fathers of the church doing it because of the weight of the kind of authoritative direction with which we're saying we believe this and not this. So that's our best efforts at understanding what it means. And... Um, and therefore, we believe that the picture you see when you look at the whole of the New Testament is this amazing picture that Paul and others paint of the local church as a place where there are a few spiritual fathers who dearly love the church family and actually provide a safe environment for men and women leaders to express their leadership gift in a way that is multifaceted, multicolored and wonderful. And actually, that is the picture that we want to increasingly aspire to see happen. I think, to be honest with you, I think it's already hugely in place. But I do think that there are new strides that God wants us to make that will make it even more something that we see and we feel in the culture of this church. In fact, I think probably for me one of the clearest moments where I think a leader got it wrong in this one Timothy way was actually when there was a guy who was hosting a meeting some time ago, non-elder, and um, he suddenly asked everyone to do something, and there were two or three elders on the front right with him, and he hadn't said to them, hey, look, I've got a bit of an unusual idea. 
can I, do you think this is okay? Do you think this might, might be what the Spirit's saying? And he just did it. And I remember feeling kind of weird, thinking, I do love and trust this guy, but I just don't feel quite you should have just done that. I think you probably should have, do you know what I mean, spoken to us and said, this is a bit unusual. You're trying to work out what it was. Don't worry about that. The point being, the point being, he's a good guy, but I just felt in my spirit, I think he's taking an authority here a little bit that he doesn't have. Does that make sense? So that's our best effort to understand 1 Timothy 2.12, two, three years after first looking at it, in the context of the broader thing. So what does that practically mean, just to finish? What's the practical at working? Just very briefly this. And, and you may say, what, does this, what I mean by this is, you see, a huge value for us as a church is character before gift. That's huge for us, is that there's lots of gifted people, but we massively want to emphasize accountable discipleship relationships where men and women are actually accountable privately before anything public occurs. And so actually, the question then practically is, because one of the main ways actually that we see particularly guys emerge, particularly with preaching and hosting and other more public gifts, is mainly through a kind of one-on-one discipleship type arena. That's just the way I tend to do it and other elders. And although at one level we could just try and start doing that with women, there's something I think about the whole thing of elders being above reproach that I think has made us a, a bit nervous about pursuing it in quite that same way. So, therefore, the way that we can ensure real accountability and safety and support and encouragement for emerging women leaders generally, but also particularly those who might emerge with a preaching or whatever you want to call it, a public teaching, preaching gift, or hosting and those more public things, first of all, is making sure they are discipled themselves, that they are in an accountable relationship. So if you're someone here and you think, yeah, you know, this is something that's been on my heart for a while, the first thing is we'd say to everyone anyway is make sure you are in a discipleship relationship with uh, a woman who is further ahead than you in some capacity. I would just say that to all of us anyway as a throwaway. It's it vital, vital that you pursue that kind of ongoing uh, intentional discipleship. The second thing is, we would, um, we're going to try a bit of an experiment um, with what we're calling a kind of a three-way discipleship moments. So in addition to that woman being discipled by someone else, perhaps once a term, something like that, they will then be joined by an elder or a senior leader um, for an evening of encouragement, support, spiritual fathering, access, whatever you want to call it, but also obviously some, probably some kind of challenge. And we'll have to work through quite how that happens, particularly if the lady in question is married, then making sure her husband's kind of happy with all that. But we're, we're doing our best to try and find ways so that there can be access for emerging um, women who are in leadership in these roles and with gifts in them can actually have access in the same way that guys have had for the last 25 years. We'll also be making sure that there's peer support amongst women in this category, so that they're going to be knowing particularly other women in different sites. Oh, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're in the same category. It's a good thing we know this so we can be together and actually be encouraged. We'll do training, papers, feedback. I think also in the new world of uh, having three sites and maybe God will add four or five, who knows what he's going to do. I think more and more the model that we're moving more towards is, is the site pastor, the elder, with a, a, a sort of a leadership team around them and often other teams based around them. And that's going to be a context where more and more women are going to be absolutely at the table, as it were, as we see women gifted missionally in terms of evangelism or women gifted in terms of um, pastoral or the prophetic. It's absolutely appropriate and right that in those site leadership teams, there's going to be 
women leaders who have access, therefore, um, to the elders and the senior leaders as well as, um, as well as the guys. And another thing also is that we as an eldership have, been com- have, have more and more realized that although there will be some times where as elders we need to meet on our own, more and more, actually, when we meet, because of what we're discussing, we're going to need people in the church who are gifted in those areas in the room to help us when we think about issues of the church, the health of the church, which will increasingly, of course, be women as well as men. So how are we going to actually see this happen whilst ensuring that the character of these emerging women leaders with these particular gifts uh, is really um, something that we prioritize so that if they get up, you know, there's actually, there's an accountability and, and they're not just preaching and no one quite knows what's going on in the same way that we would have with any of the guys who preach, that there's an accountability um, and a knowledge of their lives that is really, really key. And therefore, what that means is, to finish, the public, the public stuff, I think, will more and more and more just wonderfully emerge over the coming weeks and months and years. I think we're going to see more and more women hosting on Sunday mornings in a way in which they feel safe and encouraged and loved by the leaders of the church as well as by you guys. I think we're going to be seeing more and more women preaching on Sunday mornings. We're going to see women interviewing people on Sunday mornings. We see women leading us into communion more and more. We're going to see women explaining baptism around the baptismal pool afterwards. We're going to see women hosting the Exodus Factor or leading prayer meetings or doing the wider prayer videos. I, I was... Um, just this week, I was just on a, on a trip, and I listened to uh, Carrie Clark. I don't know if you're here, Carrie, but uh, many of you will know Carrie Clark, who's in this site, and she preached recently at a um, women's event. Oh, my word! It's her first ever sermon! Ugh. I'm so happy for her. It was amazing. It was amazing. I listened to it. It was about God being jealous for us. And it wasn't some nice little talk. It was a mighty word. I mean, I was crying in the car. Revelation was flowing. That's yeah, unusual. I know you said that, but I was. I was. It was God was, is on her. And I'm so excited about helping Carrie grow. And I'm excited that there's many other Carries and, and others of you who have a gift. And I'm thinking, praise God. I honestly think when we look at this, that, that we, 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 are not, we are not moving away from some biblical foundation. And no churches can do that. We are not doing that. But we are saying, actually, we don't want one, tr- one, one verse to completely trump everything else when the whole of the New Testament actually is speaking to us about a picture, I believe, of a wonderful church family where there are a few spiritual fathers who are called to father and to, to bring security and to ultimately govern. But actually their job is to see men and women leaders and all of the giftings of the church rise in a place that's safe and exciting. So I hope that fills you with excitement and joy. Some of you, you know, there's probably a whole mixture of emotions for in the room at the moment. Some of you are processing it, thinking, okay, as long as we're not, you know, moving away from this biblical stance. I hope you've gone some way to, well, I hope you're feeling that, that you feel safe because this isn't something we've just quickly done. We've spent years looking at this. I spent a whole Sunday morning taking you through some of the scriptures on this because I want to win your hearts. And I think for many of you, to be honest, you'll be like, fantastic, bring it on. But there may be some of you, and it's much more of a journey and a process, and this is the first you're hearing of it. And I guess I really want to say, we so want to be available to you um, to, to, to go through this privately if you want to. And we want your consciences not to be, either way, something that's ever seared. So can we stand to our feet? Can we stand to our feet? Okay, we've got five minutes. So if I'm just going to invite um, 
Sam and his band to come. And uh, we've got just a few more moments. But um, if you are a woman here, and you are a leader of any kind, okay? Perhaps you're leading a small group or you're training to. You lead in one of our Sunday teams, setup team, or, or in kids' work, or uh, worship leaders, or perhaps you're, um, you're leading the marketplace, actually. But you know you have something of a leadership gift and you've been serving your heart out in that way. Please don't be falsely humble and not put your hand up because then I'll look like a right wally. Because this room is filled with women who are in that category. So can you just quickly and confidently put your hand up in the air? All across this room. Thank you. There's many, many of you. Right. Okay, this, don't worry. You're not gonna, there's no trick here. I just want to pray for you, okay? Can you just, just get your hand up just for a moment, just so we can see who you are? There you are. Well done. I think there's many more. See, that's partly the problem, isn't it? Some of you are like, I'm sorry, it's me. It's a God-given gift. I'm not saying you're better. You're not better. You can put your hand high in the air, in fact. I ask you to put your hand high in the air. Hi, please, Joan. Come on. There's many of you here. And some of you may not have done it, and that's okay. Can, we, can you join with me for just praying a simple prayer of blessing on these wonderful women who are serving already? Lord, we just join together, and we lift them to you, and we praise you for them. Lord, we know that, Lord God, that you have gifted so many in this church in so many ways, and it's beautiful. And today we just want to pray just a simple prayer of encouragement. Encouragement. We know discouragement is not from you. It is the work of the enemy. And I pray for encouragement. We want to honour you, Lord, with our lives. We want to honour you, Lord Jesus, with all that we have. Every gift, every talent, we want to just say it's yours. Oh, I pray for any women here who, for whatever reason, have just felt any discouragement. And we just say, Lord God, now let's just... We just pray, let your spirit flow, Lord God. And I pray, let confidence that these are your daughters who you love and you died for. In Jesus' name, 